0: Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Lakeshore. Roman and Knox break into the Yanakis apartment to track down Kitty, only to find the place empty and ransacked. After Knox uses his demon powers to teleport to Kitty, Roman is trapped when one of Rex's hired hands sets the apartment ablaze, but she narrowly escapes by flooding the joint. Ileana crashes a naturalist society meeting, delirious and upset with her new access to Kitty's oracle powers. She strikes a deal with Susan to open a portal back to her home plane of Arcadia, and Susan agrees to sacrifice the demon Malarax as part of the plan. Heading to Jim Stevens' shop, she acquires the magical tools she needs to trap and kill Hazel's patron. Philip and Kitty continue to relax at their cabin resort, but when Kitty awakes in the middle of the night, she finds Philip missing and Knox suddenly in her room. The two find Philip in the parking lot, tracked down and held at gunpoint by Rex's goon, Mickey. Knox and Kitty rescue Philip, with Mickey dispatched in a flaming car wreck.
1: Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan the Hunter. It is good to be here.
2: Hi, I'm Jory, I play Kitty the Aware, and it's good to be here.
3: Hi, I'm Eli, I play Roman the Fae, and it's good to be here.
4: I'm Jordan, I play Nox the Tainted, and it's good to be here.
0: I'm Jesse, I'm the MC, and I'm a ghoul who just wants to have fun. Welcome to Many Realms. next morning, a clear calm morning in Fairmont Park as Roman steps up to the stairs in the front door of the Fairmont Park Naturalist Society,
1: which are currently under renovation.
0: Talk about the renovations, Susan. Tell me about what what Roman sees as she approaches the society headquarters. Sure,
1: you see Susan out there with like a bunch of tools taking apart the stairs. Solid. Yeah, just 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 kicking it with some with some tools. You know, I got you know horribly shot the other day. Um, probably not not the kind of labor I should be doing right now.
3: Okay, great. Is anybody helping you? I feel like like as the ladies show up, they'll they'll start helping me. But it's
1: the probably the thing where like I talked to Jim Stevens. I went back to the Naturalist Society. Uh, funny because Ileana was like, "Do you live here?" And I was like, "Absolutely not." Um, and I'm definitely still sleeping there. <laughs> and then, yeah, next morning, first thing, I'm like, all right,
3: got got some construction to do. Okay. Uh, Roman will, like, maybe take the, whatever, hammer, drill, some sort of tool, I don't know, out of your hands, and be like, you, what are you, aren't you, like, bleeding out? Sit down. Uh, thank you so much
1: for your concern, but, uh, there's there's a lot of work to be done here, so.
3: Can I have that back, please? I will, like, give it back and start, I don't know, doing something idly that is, like, I don't know, like, obvious that you should be doing under construction. I don't know anything about construction.
0: I'm not sure what you're trying to say.
3: I'm helping her.
0: Okay, that's good.
3: <laughs> okay. What's
1: with the sudden renovations? I, I spoke with uh, Jim Stevens. You know Jim, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we, uh, spoke yesterday and he gave me some um, useful rituals for trapping demons. And apparently there is an ancient altar under the steps of my naturalist society, which apparently has had uh, long, long ties to demon hunting or magic in this park. So that's fun. Well, also, Ileana showed up yesterday. Oh, It's like uh, your your whole life is crashing in on mine. No kidding. She is not all right. First of all, um, I I have never seen a person more stressed and intense in my life. So maybe you know it's going on there. But she was going on about a storm and how she would like to leave. So I, I said I would help her open a portal because I'm going to sacrifice a demon and the demon is Hazel's patron. So we're just going to get rid of the demon and solve Illyana's problems and hopefully my problems all at the same time. And I I think you could help with that. Um,
3: Whoa, whoa, okay, this is a lot. Uh, And she uh, brought this demon to you, I'm hearing. Is that right? Yeah, so,
1: well, you you were there when um, Kitty was getting attacked by the demon.
3: Right, and then she dragged it right back here okay
1: yeah because i i didn't kill that one but uh hey she did it's uh one off the list you know
3: hey yeah no hard feelings a dead demon's a dead demon um
0: it's like it's like a jar with a super bad lid like you got it most of the way there and she just kind of gave it like the the twist
1: yeah still feels bad Where is Malarax now? I'm not sure. Hazel Hazel said that she can't really like summon Malarax at will or anything, so uh, I was talking with Jim about how to do that with uh, magic circles and runes and and that kind of thing. So that that's the idea, is to trap it. Iliana said the demon had to be alive, at least uh, at the start, and then not alive. So we're going to summon it, trap it, and then kill it.
3: That tracks. That all tracks. Okay. Totally on board to do whatever that is. Not to, like, drop too much news on you, but seems like City Hall is also, by the way, planning a huge tower in Lennox Spire, and I think it's gonna remove all of the magic in the city, maybe? So we want to, like... <sighs> do these in the right order. <laughs> well, Hazel said that she had
1: like a 72 hour deadline and at least a day has passed. So uh, big time crunch on that one. When I was talking to Jim though, he said that those crystals that uh, Rex has been importing, they, they amplify magic. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not sure whose magic is going to be amplified and to what it means, but definitely Linux Spire, bad news. Definitely a weird demon chaos portal thing. Okay.
3: One thing at a time. Let's finish this shit up. Let's knock another demon off the list. (laughs) Let's go get our friends. Let's get the show on the road, okay? Let's go. And before I forget, uh, Jim gave me your equipment that you left. Oh, shit. I'll take it back and... I guess you get the sense that it's like a strangely vulnerable moment where I put it back around my neck and it's like a mother almost like feeling bad about her baby. Like, oh my God, how did I forget you? And she's like checking all of the panels and parts and like, oh good, the film in it hasn't been exposed or anything. Like, we're good.
0: When you take off the lens cap of the camera, you find that there is a note on a small piece of paper that someone has taped to the inside. The note says, Hey kiddo, keep this safe. I think it'll come in handy. Jay.
3: No. I'll never part with it again.
0: Do you have any interest, Roman, in telling Susan about Ileana, like, taking Kitty's powers? Because Susan doesn't know about that. Is there stuff you're choosing not to disclose?
3: I will tell her, like, everything. I will run her through all of the events of the last, like, six hours. Susan's gonna sit down. Okay. On the porch. Okay. You tell me that it was like on fire
1: and flooded and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, and I'll tell you the details of like the enti- like the entire details of the report also. So the man in the picture
1: with the ark—that do you think that's Ed- Edward? I mean, I can only assume that's who that is. When when I was talking with Hazel, she said that she dug up Edward's body. That was. Buried in the park. So, this
3: whole thing has wrecks all over it. I fear a lot of people will be in danger if we don't start acting fast. You see Roman maybe trying to take on a bit more of um, your natural role to like help you out a little bit, just so you have like just maybe an iota less to stress over.
0: Susan, the weight of the sense of obligation and duty that she feels for the denizens of the park and of the city, of her park and her city, have driven her to this isolated sort of general position as the women show up. Some of them are tired. Some of them have uh, shirked their regular other community duties to come in because Susan has insisted that they come and help her today on this project that's, you know, top priority. And she's directing them pretty severely. And Roman, you're trying to help run around and wrangle these women as they like do some home repair for the first time. And it is Nancy Roman, who calls your attention because Susan is sitting on the porch steps and doesn't seem to want to talk to anyone, who uh, pulls away a creaky board beneath the porch that connects to the foundation of the natural society. And it's behind that board that you help her pry out of the slightly damp foundation of the building to see a glimmer of smooth white stone, somehow untarnished with dirt or moss or age this block of stone with a shallow divot carved into it sitting in between the timbers of the foundation of the naturalist society somehow uh almost softly glowing as though lit by its own internal power source and nancy looks at you and she smiles nox and katie you had a tumultuous night also at resort pines the resortist pines and all the land at the place we can skip ahead to the next morning or we can like be in the nighttime still um, depends on what you guys want to do. Uh, I want to
4: interrogate Philip as to what was going on.
0: Okay. I would imagine you might like bring him back to uh, Philip and Kitty's cabin. Yeah. Okay. He goes willingly. He's not, he's not uh, upset with either of you, although he feels of course, very um, intense and frightened after the events that he witnessed and he also feels um quite badly you can see kitty his his normal confident manly posture is is a little bit bent and drooping and crushed his hands are trembling slightly uh as he fiddles with his pockets and you sort of half you know march him sternly because you have a lot of questions but also like gently gently bring him back to his home because he looks like he's um once again, you know, totally crumpled. After maybe a few days where he was feeling so warm and so generous and so loving and so kind and so sweet, once again, you see this man who is clearly just haunted by whatever terrors have plagued him for the past two or three months.
2: I'm definitely like good cop in contrast to Knox's.
0: Well, whatever. you haven't
4: seen how I'm approaching the situation.
0: Okay, how are you approaching the situation? Don't, don't worry. Knox is about to turn on the fucking charm <laughs> in episode 16. So you bring Philip into the cabin, you know, uh, the single light fixture above the dining room table uh, blinks to life as you sit him down. Kitty, I think you start brewing a pot of coffee and Knox. You look down appraisingly at this man who I suppose you maybe saw in passing once or twice, um, but who you now know to be Kitty's husband. He has, you know, a cut across his face, dried blood down the side of his eye. He is just wearing his shirt sleeves and trousers, and he just, you know, you just saved him from a scrape with. Rex's magically enhanced Enforcer goon so he's a wreck I mean what what do you want to do with this poor man
4: well I guess I haven't even met him Philip uh pleasure to meet you the name's Knox I've I've heard a lot about you are you are you doing okay can I get you a drink or anything in your own home Philip
0: drums his fingers on the edge of the table and when you offer to get him anything like a a shadow of his former hospitality and grace revive behind his eyes and he looks up and he says oh no I'm quite all right thank you but he looks up and he gazes at you, Knox. and he, his forehead furrows, his brows uh, knit together, and he is struggling to find the words. And then he kind of just blurts it out. He says, why did you save my life?
4: You know, uh, I'm not too sure about that. I'm hoping that you're going to be able to enlighten me as to if it was a good course of action or not. What was going on there?
0: I'm sure you you recognize that man based on what Kitty has told me that uh, you've been up to these past few weeks. It was one of Rex's henchmen.
4: You got something in your throat there?
0: <laughs> no, that's just how that's pronounced. You've come into my cabin. I'm really running with Philip pronounces things in unusual ways as a class (laughs) signifier. Uh,
4: Yes, I'm quite familiar. What I'm not familiar with is why he would be after you. Is it because of Kitty? What's going on?
0: No, it's because of my... I'm sure Kitty has told you, but I work in the... I used to work in the mayor's office. Mm Mm-hmm. Well... The mayor and Rex have um, a partnership of sorts, and after I decided to leave my position, the mayor was... He was sent here to, to, to kill me, okay? What else do I need to tell you? Do I need to spell it out? Yes. The mayor had Rex sent his henchmen to come and, and
4: give me the the old snuff. Yeah, but why? What do you know? Why why you need silencing? What's so important about you? <laughs> I'm Philip Yanakis. <laughs> I've had about enough of these Yannakases, I'll tell you what.
0: Hey. 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 <laughs>
4: <laughs> because the mayor
0: doesn't want anyone who has worked in her office to abdicate their position, she demands total fealty and anything less is punishable by, uh, by death.
4: I guess I'll just ask him outright. I don't know if this is like a move. I just want to know like what, what it is that he's not sharing.
0: There is a move called "figure someone out." Yeah, that's the move that you just said.
4: Yeah, I, I recall us doing a move that <laughs> was akin to, say, figuring someone out. You
0: need to roll with mind.
4: I got a nine. I minus one on mind.
0: So you can ask two questions uh, from the "figure someone out" list, and Philip can ask one of you.
4: All right, listen, Philip. I don't. I don't think we have time to to do whatever this little dance that you're doing is. What's What's going on? What are you hiding? I mean, you already were about to be fucking a fiery wreck not five minutes ago, and now for some reason, all of a sudden, your tongue's tied. I,
0: I appreciate your, your concern and your preference for urgency. It's just not very easy. These last few months have been very intense. I'm not a, a, a psychic, nor do I have a demonic abilities, so you have to understand that I've, I've trying to process a rapid volume of information in a very tight timeline while trying to keep my loved ones safe and it has it has been uh difficult for me but i will say this that um the mayor's office is intending to enact some policy changes in lakeshore which will have a, a debilitating effect on many of the citizens of the city i was not uh in favor of such a course of action and Because of that, I uh, chose to exile myself in the mayor's office and incurred her wrath. Uh, He tells you the plan. Philip describes a a plan set in motion by Mayor Evelyn Graham of the city of Lakeshore. (laughs) Jillian pulls out her notepaper and begins to write it down. Philip describes, uh, the mayor's increasing, well, actually, because it's Philip, I think he injects it with a lot of, like, personal color and, like, ties into how he's still, like, a good person, even though, like, he got mixed up in some bad stuff. I, I do, I don't want to suggest that he gives you the facts cleanly and coldly, because Philip Yanakis is not capable of that by a long shot. Okay. Um... I think what he tells you as Kitty, you take a seat across from him and hand him his cup of coffee and grab his hand, his shaking cold hand, to keep him steady as he recounts his tale, is that... He was very excited when he was hired as a staffer in the mayor's office, partly due to Kitty's uh, frequent visions guiding his political careers, getting him to network with the right people, be in the right places at the right times, and propel him to a state of political success in Lakeshore. And he describes that the mayor is an incredibly intelligent, powerful, calculating woman who at first seemed to have a very clear vision for a prosperous and thriving future in Lakeshore. She is a woman who is deeply fascinated by um, developing technology about new innovations that can improve the quality of life in the city. And as Philip gained more power in the office, as he was privy to more and more classified documentation and meetings, it was clear that the mayor was obsessed with one thing above all, magic she had a prodigious capability for magic already and uh, as philip was assigned shortly after joining the mayor's office she was interested in researching the amplification effects of crystals that could be imported to lakeshore from south of the border philip at first thought this was okay. I mean, his own wife was magic after all. How bad could this be? She's a, an upstanding, you know, beautiful young woman. So Philip got down and got to work. He and Edward were asked to commission a machine called the Archaeological Radiance Quantifier from an inventor named Angela Whitcomb. They were set to conduct measurements of magical ability and to isolate and identify areas of great magical effect in the city, including Fairmont Park, including some spots in the north end of the city and downtown, and they learned more and more as time went on, as the day grew closer of the Lakeshore Exhibition, of the unveiling of When Expire, that Mayor Graham intended to use these crystals not just to amplify her own power or those of her allies, but to control and regulate the flow of magic throughout Lakeshore entirely. Philip doesn't know anything about magic. He's done his research now as part of his job, but going into it, all he knew was that his wife would sometimes close her eyes and seem to have an uncanny ability to predict what was about to happen next. But that was the extent of his interaction with those kinds of things. And as he began to struggle to make sense of what was going on, he realized that the mayor wanted to, to some degree, subjugate and control all of the citizens that have access to magic for her own gain. He's not quite sure how she intends to do that to what end it involves an understanding of magic that's beyond him but as soon as he realized what was going on he began to grow frightened and he began to worry for the safety and sanctity of his wife and there was a moment a defining moment for philip yanakis when after a heated meeting after a few days uh, of a report being delivered and discussion being had about the future of the project the mayor called edward cook and philip yanakis into her office and philip watched as Edward was killed by Rex Lemaire. A demon appeared, grabbed Edward's body, and vanished without a trace to parts unknown. From that moment on, Philip knew his only goal was to cut his ties to the mayor's office and escape the city as quickly as he could. But he was thrown a curveball when his wife decided she was having some personal issues and needed to leave their apartment and reduce the time she spent with her husband. He was unsure exactly how to carry himself, how to help Kitty while still respecting her independence, but as the situation in the city got worse, as he read reports in the newspaper of erupting sulfuric smoke and demonic horns at the Drake Casino, at people seeing swooping creatures flying overhead in Fairmont Park, he began to put on a show of working hard in the mayor's office, spending long nights there, secretly working to gather as much information as he could until it was safe to leave, until the day that his wife kitty came back claiming that she had no magic powers at all instead of divulging the entirety of what he knew philip considered this to be a miraculous sign of destiny that kitty was safe she was in no danger because she had no magic and this was the moment for the whole family to escape to flee the city limits as far as they possibly could to catch their breath and plan their next move and let lakeshore sink into the sea or the lake rather for all he cared as long as his family, his wife, and his daughter were safe.
2: Philip, you've tried to protect me. If you had told me all of that days ago, perhaps we would have figured that that Mickey would come after you. We could have come up with a better solution. I wouldn't have wanted to come out of town if I knew that Rex could follow you because he can follow you here. He doesn't, his goons don't stop at the city limits. I thought,
0: I thought I was small enough to get out from under the mayor's thumb. I thought she had enough things to worry about that she might let me go. I was so careful. I hid every scrap of where we were going. I locked the apartment door behind us and I thought if anything, we would have Kitty, I just wanted a couple of days to figure out what to do next. I thought I could buy us at least that much time. And as you said yourself, if you knew if you knew what was going on, you wouldn't have wanted to come. And then where would I have been?
2: I would have taken you where I think we ought to go now, which is back into the city, into Fairside, where there are people who know what's happening and can defend us and who can do something about. All these plans,
0: Kitty. I understand that you, you put great stock in the friends that you've made in your time in Fairside. But I've heard your story. I've heard. I've heard of the wounds that you've suffered, the attacks, the betrayals, the mistakes. You mean to tell me that you think you can stand up against the combined efforts of Rex Lemare, his entire network, and the mayor herself, Kitty? Running didn't work, so we ought not to. Who made you so brave, Kitty Yanakis? Roman and Susan, what's next?
3: Working hard at this magical circle, I guess, right? Like, maybe throughout the course of us working, maybe now Roman is like, hmm, she seems like she's being a little bit cold to me. But we don't have the time to address it right at the second
0: I would want to ask you, what is the plan when Hazel shows up? And what's the plan when uh, Ileana eventually shows up? Because that's kind of the next two beats of this, I think.
1: I guess I need to know, like, where Ileana wants to do the big sacrifice. That's maybe item number one. Because my plan is to... I'm going to try the small circle. We're going to do both things. We're going to do both things.
0: Concentric circles.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're going to try to summon Malarax with the small magic circle with the special Malarax runes. And we're also going to to make the whole park the circle with the orb magic because that's cool. So that if Malarax breaks out of the small circle, it's not a big deal because it won't get too far. And I think it would be incentivizing for Malarax to stay in the circle if the circle was surrounded by like a moat of water that could be used to like splash it at any moment, thanks to my good pal, Roman.
3: Right, okay, so we're now at this point where like circle is pretty made and Ileana and Hazel are gonna start ushering in soon. Roman will indeed um, take a corruption and create a big ass moat.
0: Maybe the girls, the ladies of the Natural Society have helped you like dig a trench around where this circle is because like Roman's just doing the water part. Yeah. And it's good to have them like help out and roman stands at the edge and she feels the pull of the roiling waters of the pond on the western edge of fairmont park and she extends her right hand and curls her fingers in and can feel like the water table below the ground start to swell and transform and then from the bottom of this trench water just starts to pool up like a natural spring cold crisp and clear and surrounding the circle of runes that susan has chalked into the ground in the middle When Hazel and Ileana do show up, they both look like shit. Hazel has been attempting to resist her demonic orders given by Malarax, which as she told Susan, uh, causes her to suffer physically as she attempts to avoid returning to the Drake Casino. Um, when you see her, she's wearing big sunglasses to cover her sleepless eyes. Her skin is sort of ashy and has patchy rashes all over it. But you can see the scales are starting to break through, but she's trying to will them down. It's almost bringing on an involuntary transformation. It's not a cute summer look. There are like nubs and welts at her temples where the horns are trying to break through. She didn't get to bring her clothes back from her penthouse apartment. So she is wearing like a paint splattered shirt that Roman keeps around her room and some rolled up old trousers. And you know, it's a complete stark contrast from the glamorous lounge singer that you saw at the Drake casino like five days ago. She she rolls up and she uh, looks appraisingly at the circle and at the moat and at you Susan and at you Roman. And she says, you think this is gonna work?
3: Uh, you look like you'll try anything. <laughs>
0: You got me pegged, sister.
3: Susan looks
1: appraisingly at the moat and the magic circle, and she looks at you, Roman. I think she takes one of your hands. Oh, no. I have something to ask of you. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you for the moat. I think that will be very helpful, but here's the thing. This circle probably won't hold, so Jim gave me this orb and it will channel all of all of the ley lines, the magic, in the park to create kind of the ultimate magic circle. But when that's, once that's all done, the orb has to be taken off the altar and Jim doesn't know it's going to happen, but it's a lot of concentrated magic and power in this one spot. And I I can't ask someone like Joan or Nancy to touch something like that,
3: but I think you can handle it, and I think you owe me. Roman obviously will do it. Um, maybe she a little bit bristles at the like, and I think you owe me, she's like, well, I would have done it if you just asked. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
3: but she'll she'll take the orb in her hands, and it's just like, like I said, it's your show. Just tell me what to do. Yeah, I give you
1: the instructions for
3: what to do with the orb. Awesome, it's all on me, Coach. Okay, let's do this thing before I chicken out.
0: Roman, as you head north with the orb, away from the Magic Circle and back toward the naturalist society building, a flash of something glittering and gleaming catches your eye. On the opposite end, the south end of the park, stepping forward through the brush, is your fae matriarch, Ileana, who you haven't seen in some time, and the last thing she did to you was steal your sister's superpowers, so that's kind of a, a bit of a bummer. She normally um, dresses, you know, fairly glamorously and fairly to the period. She often likes to participate in the festivals of like Polish and Ukrainian heritage that are common in the diaspora population in Fairside. So she's often wearing like uh, costumes that have like really uh, intricate embroidered flowers of like reds and blues on them. But it seems like she's dressed to head home today. She is wearing a strange garment that seems to be woven through with silver and mirrored thread as you watch the evening light of the falling sun plays across her arms and her bodice and sort of sends almost disco balls haven't been invented yet because disco hasn't been invented yet but these shimmers are just kind of Reflecting and refracting off her and kind of painting all the foliage around her with this miasma of silvery light that's just beautiful to behold. You've never seen her look so radiant and the way she's done her hair and the pigments she's applied to her face give her this even more than usual otherworldly uh, transcendent appearance as she steps forward and she begins to survey the scene. Behind her, Elliot Darcy, her sort of uh, favorite mortal play thing is... um, carrying a basket of wildflowers and tossing them after her in this sort of like weird inverted bridal moment situation and if all goes well, Roman this will be the last time you see her.
3: Darcy, you're not going with her?
0: Darcy says, she's taking me with her. I'm the lucky one.
3: With like a surprising amount of warmth, Roman like cups his face and is like, you really are. And she takes Ileana's hands in hers the way that Ileana has done so many times. I know you hear this a thousand times a day, Ileana, but I really did love you.
0: I loved you too, dear. Be well. You turn on your heel and you walk away through the grass. When you get to the porch of the Naturalist Society, you duck underneath, pull away that loose board that Nancy had propped up, and you find this big white stone altar with a divot in it. You hold on to this grapefruit sized orb that Susan has handed you it's carved with these intricate runes that seem similar to the ones you've seen on guns and name tags in the past you're starting to get fed up with this runic energy that seems to be dominating your life and maybe with a a deep breath of resignation and determination you take this orb you place it on the rune nothing seems to happen everything feels normal but a kilometer south in the forest things start to pick up Hazel is kneeling in the center of this uh, magic circle, surrounded on all sides by this moat. Opposite, sort of parallel to her, but outside of the circle, Ileana is performing her own ritual with her own uh, form of magic, which tends to take the mannerisms of herbs, flowers, natural ingredients. It's a lot more it feels a lot more sort of like druidic, I would say, Ileana stylings, as opposed to this very sort of like Latin inscribing of words in chalk on a circle. So these kinds of parallel and dissonant forms of magic ritual are happening at the same time and sort of bumping together and weaving and colored light is starting to flicker in the air. Hazel uh, rests on her hands, on all fours. And as she uh, lets loose the kind of low pained groan, a cloud of sulphuric smoke bubbles forth from the circle, and the demon Malarax appears. A huge, long, jet-black, coiled serpent, maybe as tall as an elephant, and twice as long, has twin, barbed tails that split and extend from its back. One has barbs that burst and flicker with sparks of bright flame. The other has barbs that crackle and hiss with the sound of electricity. This giant serpent looks down on Hazel, and she says, Go!
2: How are we going to get back to the city?
4: Do you have a car? No, you don't. It's a fiery ball.
0: I noticed, yes. I should really take that into the shop, see what they can do to my fiery ball.
4: Nice. (laughs) Shop? Is there a shop nearby?
0: Unlikely. I, I chose this location because of how remote it was and how hard to access I thought it would be. The next town isn't for another uh, 25 minutes driving.
4: I don't think that, like, I know that I, I kinda had done the carry thing there in that fight, but I don't think that's sustainable. I can't, like, fly them into this.
2: Yeah, you can't, like, fly a full three-person family. As
0: funny as that would be.
2: Can I just, like, ask the front desk?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely for sure. And the front desk of the uh, resort is staffed by, actually, it's like a very um, sort of uh, like bitter old woman who you get the sense she is just running this resort because it like pays for her like mortgage, but she doesn't really like doing it. She just kind of is like, I just want to faff around and have no one ever bother me with any problems, but people constantly have problems to bother her with. She is... um, like definitely early 70s. She is uh, kind of a butch lady. She's got like short cropped hair and she's wearing uh, a button down shirt rolled up to the elbow. And she is on the phone at the front desk with a repair place or like a towing service. And she's like, what do you mean you don't service out this far? Who's gonna take this car wreck away? I, someone's gotta move it. Well, who's next? Who's, who's next to you in the phone book, buddy? Cause I'm gonna call them and give them my slice of business that I would've given to you if you weren't such a uptight fucking... Oh, hi, hi, miss. What's, how, sorry, how can I help you?
2: Unfortunately, overnight, something happened to our car and we have to get back to the city as soon as possible. Is there anything that can be done?
0: She gestures to the phone and she says, well, I, I said it's going to be two business days before we even get a to tow truck down here to take this. Were you were you driving some kind of junker? Were you like doing speed drag racing out in the streets at night? What happened? Why did I wake up at 4 a.m. to see two burning out car wrecks right in front of my resort? You tell me about that, ma'am.
2: Just as shocked as you are, I was sleeping in bed. I woke up to hear a sound and there was my car in another car that... I must have been some, I don't know who's who's here at this time, but maybe there are some kids who got up to no good. You know, kids always up to no good.
3: Kitty uses Whoa. trustworthy face.
0: <laughs> Kitty throws kids under the bus. Children in general as a concept. S- Single handedly, just the concept. <laughs> um, she she like could help you. It's going to be a lot of work for her. I think you are going to need to offer her something really good and or persuade her as per the move, because she's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, I'm already dealing with this shit that you're causing. I didn't cause the shit. It was kids. It was the kids. The kids did it. You gotta believe me.
2: Uh, yeah. So I'm persuading an NPC. I should think so. Seven.
0: Seven. And your your, your persuasion is like, please help me get out of this and you're kind of just going for like
2: please I'm just like a lady down on her luck well I'm going for I'm your customer
0: I'm paying you for a service well I'm sure you didn't you didn't pay for the free car service included in this rental resort absolutely not I can well you want to offer money yeah okay I like that that's a very kitty kitty answer to this problem frankly you kitty I think you sort of like purse your lips and like open your handbag and, and pull out like a small unmarked brown envelope that you keep in there when like situations arise that might need a little bit of smoothing over. And you kind of gently slide it across the countertop and Judy uh, raises an eyebrow and looks down and she snatches it up quickly and rifles through its contents and she tosses it under the desk of the reception center and she says, you know, Judy just had an idea. She loves the third person referring to herself and such. It's very, it's good for her self-esteem. We are gonna, we are gonna offer our first ever luxury car service at this resort. And I would be just honored if you would be our first customer.
2: Thank you so much. We really appreciate this.
0: She rummages in a tin can that is sitting out on the shelf that is full of like random nuts and bolts and odds and ends. And she reaches in and she pulls out what looked like a, a key ring with some car keys on it. And she uh, says, please, if you could gather your things and follow me to our luxury departure area. Let me just
2: gather the rest of my family and we'll be there in just a minute.
0: You grab Knox and Philip and Betty who pack up their luggage, not Knox, because he came here with the clothes on his back, not even his lighter. And Judy leads you from the front of the reception cabin down like a dirt path that leads a little bit off the cabin area and kind of closer to the water. And she leads you to this sort of picnic area where parked in the shade of some old beech trees and looking like they've been parked for a very long time is a rusted dark red pickup truck. And Judy, it's a fucking clunker. It's like a few notches above Philip's flaming ball. (laughs) And she turns to you with a big toothy grin and she says, look, I'll even throw in the keys for free. And she tosses the keys at you. She says, it starts, don't give me that look. She wrenches with like a loud squeak, the door of the pickup truck open and she shows you where she's cannily cut out a hole so you can manually work the ignition of the car. And she says, I think if you find all the scraps, there's probably a seatbelt here too. All right. Let's go. You guys throw your luggage in the uh, flatbed of the truck along with Betty because it only seats two, and I think the three of you are going to have to cramp up into the sort of you know it's just like a driver's like bench, just like fully one long yeah. seat yeah. between the driver and the passenger. It's that kind of moment, um, and it's like Philip crammed between Kitty and Knox. I guess Philip would drive unless anyone else has um, delusions of driving ability. I don't
2: know if. I should drive because Philip's kind of going through it right now, and I'm feeling a little bit more
0: up to it than I think he might. I love Kitty driving this clunker. Kitty, you you push Philip out of the driver's seat and slide in next to him and uh, activate the ignition in the licentious and lewd manner in which Judy instructed you, and <laughs> the truck. Uh, gargles and belches to life heavy smoke spews out of its tailpipe betty starts coughing in the flatbed of the truck as she has built like a little fortress of luggage around her and uh philip says this thing might be worse than what we were driving than what we have to work with in the parking lot
2: at least it starts and i hit the gas and go
0: um, yeah, <laughs> you set it into drive, you, you ease up on the gas, and you head uh, clunking, billowing, belching, smoke, and rattling down the highway into Lakeshore. We cut back to the naturalist society, or nearabouts, as uh, this ritual is underway and this demon, Malarax, has appeared. As soon as it's appeared, I imagine, Susan, you give your signal.
1: Yeah, what what does Ileana, like, told me to do? She said it needs to, like, be alive and then not alive.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, the 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 key thing for Ileana's ritual is just that, like, when it dies it just has to be, like, in the ritual spot, which is why, like, her killing a demon that she, like, found a few days ago when she wasn't doing the ritual doesn't count. I think, uh, Joan and Nancy draw their guns respectively. Um, Joan still has her arm bound up in a sling from the last demon run she had a few days ago, and, uh, Unfortunately, as she steps back and tries to uh, anchor herself and get her shot on, she stumbles a little bit, and the shot goes wide. Atypically, Nancy uh, has been practicing and studying and heading out with Joan night after night. She has her feet shoulder width apart the gun forward hands planted around the grip she she closes her eyes aims her shot and fires a bullet decisively into the side of malarax which screams one of its tails the split tail the the barbed electric one lashes around and before hazel can even get to her feet it connects with her bodily and you can hear uh, a crackle and the smell of singeing hair and flesh. She is thrown, she is knocked clear out of the magic circle over the moat and lands in the brush with a snap not too far away from Joan. Joan screams and uh, lowers her gun and steps over to find and support Hazel as this demon thrashes and begins to, uh, to charge and, and feel and press against the edge of the magic circle that's binding it. Uh, what do you do, Susan?
1: I shoot it, obviously.
0: Yeah. Why don't you roll to unleash an attack?
3: Give me something good. Eight.
0: Okay. On a seven to nine, I think you are going to uh, face some backlash from this a little bit. Um, Either they're going to inflict harm on you or you're going to find yourself in a bad spot.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But also I want to inflict terrible harm. Okay. So I'm using my big gun. Natch. And let me tell you. This gun is powerful as heck. It regularly does three harm, and I have a move, Deadly, where when you inflict harm, increase the harm by one, so that's four, and I want to inflict terrible harm, so I'm going to do five harm.
0: Holy shit.
1: Damn. I'm I'm fine if it inflicts harm on me.
0: Can uh, I would love to ask you to give me some flavor, give me some description of this, this big moment for Susan.
1: Susan, like never before, is full of this single-minded determination that she has never had before. She has an overwhelming amount of knowledge of all the chaos and destruction that is happening or planned in the city. So all that she can think about is crossing another one off the list. Her aim is true, her grip is steady, and she just
2: fires.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost like a a, a a really intense sight to behold for Nancy and for Joan and for Hazel somewhere in the weeds that like this thing sees you cock your gun and, and take your deadly aim. And I think it lashes out with its other tail, the fiery tail, with like a long sweep that just manages to... Um, cover the edge of the moat and a huge like roiling wave of extreme heat and smoke and fire blows forward onto the grass. And I think Susan, that you want this shot, you want the exact shot that you want, the no scope 360 headshot. (laughs) And you just stand there as this fire rolls forward, deals you two harm. You can feel the leather of your jacket buckle and start to burn into your skin, the intensity of it rolling up your arms and your shoulders. But you keep your limbs locked, level and steady as you take your shot and fire.
1: Yeah, she stands her ground. Like she said to Jim, it kind of doesn't matter what happens to her the demons just have to go down.
0: So I think after it, it launches this wave of fire at you and it sees you still standing there, with Hazel having been like cleared physically from the circle, uh, its its ability to be contained there is sort of altered because its charge is now on the outside of the circle. And um, it starts to, uh, coil and uncoil and stretch itself out you can see it it reacts with distaste and and uh disgust as its body like slithers and parts of its like body droop into this moat that you've carved and it doesn't like it it's like hissing nastily um i think it's going to race straight for you and it's going to uh rear up and come down and i think strike at you just with some good old fangs susan
1: well, I I want to keep I want to shoot it again. I don't want it to get to attack me.
0: Okay, roll to unleash an attack. It's a nine. Okay.
1: I would like to deal it another five harm.
0: Of course you would. And uh, on a seven to nine, you're gonna have to choose one uh, one other effect.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm fine to be in a bad spot.
0: Okay. Let me offer you this. Um, this thing rears down and goes for another strike, uh, expecting you to collapse under the wave of its like fiery, spiky tail attack. But you stand firm, Susan. And as it lunges down, I think you are able to get a pretty decisive headshot. I think this thing's head goes the way of the dinosaurs when they were struck in the head by a giant <laughs> comet or whatever. That one got away from me wow. a little bit. But you know what I mean. <laughs> And yeah, you, you see the bullet pierce the roof of this thing's mouth between its fangs and it exit up the front near its brain and uh, it lets loose a, a high, keening, sort of rattling, animalistic scream. that then gets cut off and uh, this thing slumps in the smoldering, still firing grass. You're sort of standing, I think. Um, in in a clear patch. You know that like Buster Keaton thing or whatever where like the front of the house totally like falls down and he's standing where the door is Mm -hmm. and it just like lands all around you? This is like massive coils of demon snake landing all around you uh, and stamping out like the fire that's erupting through the Black Oak savanna of Fairmont Park. And uh, at this time, you see now that your vision is uh, unobstructed by a giant snake demon across the moat, Ileana is ready to conduct her ritual. She pulls from her belt a silver sheening dagger and she grabs Elliot Darcy by the shoulder and with a gentle kiss on his cheek, slits his throat and pushes his body down onto the, well, come on. She told you in episode one she was going to sacrifice a human. I don't know how this would be a surprise for you. Um, she pushes him down and as his blood drains uh, onto the the area that she's created and into the moat kind of mingling with the waters of the pond. Um, you can see in the center of this sort of uh, island, the air is like thin thin and shimmering like you're watching heat royal up from a hot piece of pavement and then she draws her dagger and it's as though she's cutting the very air itself and you can see reality curl in at the seams it's actually a, a incredibly terrifying sight for a mortal whose limited experience with magic does not include anything like this the fabric of existence itself is being severed and repurposed for iliana's will as she carves this sort of doorway and from it just Pours like effulgent, uh, uh, incandescent, effervescent golden bubbles and beams and splashes of light that trickle out like a waterfall and bathe the area in this golden glow like you've never seen before, Susan. And um, the snake all around you, the demon, starts to bubble and melt into the same sticky, black, tar-like blood that now has stained a path maybe permanently in front of the Naturalist Society porch. Globules and sections of the body start to lift away, start to melt into smoke and get sucked into this doorway as this demon's body is sort of recalled to Arcadia from whenceforth it came. Ileana steps forward. She crosses the flowing water of the moat seamlessly as though she has walked upon water her entire life and she crosses in front of the doorway. Susan, you feel as this demon starts to... Um, starts to kind of press forward and more parts of it start to like float up. It's pressing against you. You're sort of caught up in the in the flow of magic as this demon's body that completely surrounds you is pulling you towards this doorway. What do you do? Joan? Joan is going to stand up. She is going to uh, cast down her gun in the grass and she is going to attempt to run and make a flying like leap over the moat to knock you out of the weight of this like magical tractor beam that is pulling you into another dimension. Um, For you, Susan, I am gonna ask you to escape a situation as you like try to uh, get to Joan and get her to get you out of here. This roll plus blood, thank
1: Mm -hmm. God. Great, okay, that's an 11. Okay. I'm good at this.
0: You are good at escaping things. That's very much your thing. So you're going to choose one consequence for escape a situation.
1: Again, uh, I haven't been marking very much corruption uh, in this game. So I want to use uh, the last one. Give into your base nature and mark corruption.
0: What? Um, How do you see that coming into play in this situation?
1: I think it's it's that focus, right? I've been talking about. It's just this... All this, like, power and rage and, and focus that's honestly unnatural, I think, it is just flowing through me, and I, I want it to ground me in this world.
0: As the hunter who is so dedicated to fighting demons, um, who is so dedicated to, like, their purpose and getting their job done, your corruption move is to, like, put a mortal in harm's way. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's, like, something here where the... The, the version of this where you are taking corruption, yeah. I wonder if it involves you harming Joan somehow in order to get out of this.
1: Yeah, it's it, in the same way I think that I let the fire hit me to get the shot, I let her take the hit.
0: That's yeah, that's very much, yeah, 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 that sort of like single-mindedness, that dog devotion, that sort of like recklessness. Yeah. Um... So yeah, in that case, I think you call out for Joan as this, these like chunks of the snake are starting to peel off and fly into this portal. Iliana is rapidly becoming a sort of glowing silhouette as uh, the last of Elliot Darcy's blood drains from his throat and spills into the moat all around you. Uh, it's hard to even see or like know what's happening with this flood of searing golden light and the shadowy smoke of this decomposing demon, but suddenly uh, around your shoulder you feel Joan's arm as she's trying to grab you and sort of lift you up the bulk of this demon's body and pull you to safety. You are um, weakened. You've been ravaged by fire. Now, as the adrenaline is kind of flooding and you're lowering your gun as this demon is dead, you can feel like the searing pain as it just like makes every single nerve ending in your body sing. And you allow Joan to kind of pull you up, almost drag you over the top of this creature. And as you're looking up, You can still feel this kind of uh, suction, this pull on your legs. You're not quite out of the storm yet. You can feel that you're almost trying to slide towards this portal on one end, and Joan's uh, mortal strength is keeping you tethered to this world on the other. And as you look up into the blurry forest canopy, golden-tinted, smoky, with sunset light spilling across, you can see behind Joan the huge uh, electric, spiked tail of this massive snake demon has fallen away and is flying towards the portal. And you know, if she lets you go to save herself that you are going to be sucked into this portal before you have a chance to fight it off. So, Susan Starling you bite your lip and you say nothing and you watch as Joan screams as this tail uh smashes into her back and the two of you are both flung uh far into the grass not too far from where Hazel fell as the rest of this demon in a faster exponential entropy universe destroying moment just flies through this portal and suddenly the golden light fades Iliana is nowhere to be seen. Elliot's dead body drags a listless hand in the water of the moat. You can hear the sounds of Hazel's labored, unconscious breathing in the grass behind you and Joan crying silently, sniffling as tears pour down her cheeks as she experiences intense pain. You lie there in the grass feeling nothing, feeling triumph of a job well done and you close your eyes as the sun sets on Fairmont Park. Thanks for listening to episode 16. Things are definitely getting hot in Lakeshore. We'll be back on September 15th. And now, check out this message from our friends over at the Lucky Die.
4: You see, looking up from the ground, blood red clouds boiling across the sky. You did ask me to bring the thunder. <laughs> Agent! Agent! uh, Help! I've got the chalice, please!
3: Well, if they're following you, then I guess that takes care of a loose end for me.
1: (laughs) All of you feel the earth beneath you shake and crack and
4: break. I feel that I have failed both of you, and I am sorry for that.
2: This has nothing to do with you being a bad leader. Do you want a countdown?
4: Oh, I think I want a countdown. I wanted to help. I always had good intentions. I do not deserve to die. Now. The
0: Lucky Die podcast is a weekly 5e Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast.
4: Join our adventure every Monday, wherever you download podcasts, by searching for The Lucky Die.